0: You are listening to The Chaos Chronicles. I'm Leanne Dolan. We have a party going on here in the closet. Yes, The Chaos Chronicles is back, and I am happy to be behind the microphone. Um, I've come out of my short retirement, <laughs> and I will explain that later. Uh, or I'll explain it right now. Here's the deal. Uh, I was actually going to stop producing the Chaos Chronicles. I think I announced that dramatically a couple of months ago, maybe like six weeks ago. And then I never really did a goodbye show. And several people said, where's your goodbye show? And then many other people expressed, um, you know, sadness that the Chaos Chronicles was going away. They emailed me. They wrote on Facebook pages, you know, how much they appreciated the show. And I realized um, I kind of missed the show, too. <laughs> I'm just doing the Chaos Chronicles. My initial reaction was that I was just wiped out, just exhausted, and that I needed to kind of consolidate my creative efforts between writing books and being out there publicizing the books. I have a new magazine column. We're doubling up production on Satellite Sisters. I really thought, well, I'm not sure... I have the time and the energy to make The Chaos Chronicles as good as I want to make it. And I take things pretty seriously. I know it's a podcast I do in my closet, but I try to do an excellent job <laughs> and um, I just felt kind of burnt out from having so many balls in the air. So I took a break for six weeks, and that's when I discovered I really missed it. Um, and I think that goes back to my original mission when I started on the air many years ago with Satellite Sisters. I felt like there was a voice missing in the media landscape, and that was... Real uh, mothers with real issues and real lives with real kids and really imperfect uh, situations who were working and getting the kids off to school and trying to make it all happen um, without the benefit of like hair and makeup. Uh, <laughs> like those newscasters you see on the air who always look so together. And I felt like no one was really telling the true story of like working moms in America and that maybe I could do that in my own way. And I also felt like that way should include humor and levity because motherhood um, is a great gig, but it can be exhausting. It can be isolating. Um, It can be monotonous. Uh, It can involve a lot of drudgery, she says. as She empties the dishwasher for the 9,000th time. So I wanted to bring some levity to motherhood. Modern motherhood uh, with a sense of humor is what I thought. And, uh, I missed doing that with the chaos chronicles. And I was happy to hear from so many of you that you missed it and that you appreciated it. So off we go. I, I look at my life now and I realize, you know what, when I'm not actually out promoting a book and speaking and traveling and going, you know, in four different directions, um, I actually do have time to do the Chaos Chronicles and if I can sort of line it up and do the production after I do uh, the Satellite Sisters show on Tuesday, if I can make Tuesday a production day, I think I can knock out both shows at once. So, um so here we go, back doing the Chaos Chronicles. But I would like to thank everybody for their kind words because, um, really did get me back behind the microphone and make me realize how much I missed doing the show. There's still a lot to be said about the issues surrounding motherhood here and, and parenting. And even if I'm not in the thick of some of those issues, um, I can still have an opinion. <laughs> or I can bring them to your attention because I know you're busy. You're very busy and I can read the newspaper for you is basically what I'm promising. Um, but one of the exciting things I've decided to do, uh, to try anyway, we'll see how this works out, um, is to actually have more guests on the chaos chronicles, people that can bring a different perspective, uh, to parenting and help illuminate and educate us on different ideas. And to that end, uh, with the rebirth of the Chaos Chronicles, I have Kristen Beckstrom Radcliffe on the show today. She's a longtime Satellite Sister and Chaos uh, Chronicles listener, but she's also a licensed clinical social worker. She's a mom, and she's co-written a book with her 11-year-old daughter, Wynn about um, uh you know, wins life with anxiety and OCD. So the book is called Willow Wonders. Why do I worry? And we're going to talk to Kristen later on in the show. Um, but first let's, let's get back to the business of motherhood, shall we? (laughs) Now I've never really set myself up. I really better deliver. I better deliver. Uh, First off, just a, just a personal update. Um, when we last spoke, I think my son was starting his gap year, my older son, and I was struggling with that. Very, uh, very real. I did not expect to have him home on the couch eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner with us this year. I wasn't sure how it was going to work out. Uh, I wasn't sure it was the best thing, but it was what he wanted to do in the spring. He felt like he hadn't quite found the right college situation for him, and he wanted to take a year off to figure that out. And so we set some rules in place. He was going to work, going to get a job. He was going to um, pursue a couple of his uh, interests professionally, meaning mainly car photography and car videos. He was going to make a real run at that and uh, try to establish a website and, and a Instagram account and, and do those things for real. And um, and in exchange for that, I would occasionally make him lunch. and. <laughs> I have to say, I mentioned on Satellite Sisters a couple of weeks ago how we've reached a détente, and how having him uh, around is now like having a four-year-old boy around. <laughs> he has, you know, he sort of abandoned me for four years in high school, but now he's back, and uh, we hang out a lot. And uh, my other son calls him my roommate, and um, we are really sort of enjoying his gap here. Are there moments? Yeah. Did he not empty the dishwasher last night when I went to yoga? No, he didn't. Uh, Was there a consequence to be paid this morning? Oh, yeah. No fried eggs for him, I'll tell you. I'm really laying down the law here. Um, But I have to say one of the things um, that has been a pleasure to watch him do is work, is go to work every day. And I'm sure many of you had jobs in high school. And he never did, um, mainly because of the sports, Uh, all because of the sports. He was a a competitive soccer player. And in California, that's a year round obligation. And it's every weekend. It's four nights a week. uh, It's early morning practices. It it just wasn't we could. you know, he he, there was never like a carved out amount of time where he could say, oh, yeah, I can work Friday and Saturday and Sunday. That just never existed. Um, But I have to say work is good. You know what? Work is good. And, um, when I think about all those kids with, uh, I don't know summer programs and and internships and things like that. Just a normal job has really, really um, opened up his perspective on things. Uh, he works hard. He gets up and goes to work on the days when he doesn't want to go. Uh, he has shifts that are twelve hours long. Uh, he has days. He's a valet Parker, so he has days where he makes a bunch of money, and then he has days when he works just as hard and doesn't make as much money. Uh, he's working with all different kinds of coworkers from all different kinds of. Backgrounds dealing with the boss, so that is all good. And uh, I, you know, <laughs> if any college admission counselors are listening. Take a look at the kids with jobs. Okay, take, take a look. You know, I know it's great to start a nonprofit and stuff, but it's also great to get up, put your uniform on, and go to work every day. Give those kids just as much credit, and I think college admissions counselors do. I hope, but. And this competitive race to sort of pad our kids' resumes—it can be—it uh, can be forgotten that a normal job is a huge learning experience. And just the other day, one of the benefits—just <laughs> the other day—we were talking about um, the very, the very sad death of Marsha Wallace. We're big Simpsons fans here, and I—I I saw Brooks and I said, "Oh my gosh, guess who died today, Mrs. Krabappel?" And he said, "Yeah, I know. I heard it on NPR." And I paused a second. I went, wait, you were listening to NPR? (laughs) He's not, has never done that. You know, usually I have it on in the car, five talk radio on in the car. He turns it to a music station. And he said, yeah, mom, I figured out that all the really nice cars that come into the hotel, they're all tuned to NPR so that maybe I should start listening so I could learn something. So one day I could buy a really nice car. There you go, people. You cannot teach that at home. You cannot teach that at home. That's all all I'm saying. So I don't there's his motivation. Someday I want to drive a car this night. Huh, what are they listening to on the radio? That's what they're listening to. And let it be a lesson to you whenever you drop your car off at a valet, they are judging you on the radio station you're listening to. <laughs> they're judging the value of your car and they're judging you on the radio station listening to. Although my son will readily say, he goes, sometimes the people with the fancy cars don't tip it all. And the people with the beaters give you five bucks. <laughs> so there's no judgment there, but the radio station, that's real. So I, I just would like to advocate for more jobs for teenagers. And I I don't mean to say that blithely, because I know it can be really hard in this economy for teenagers, depending upon where they live, to actually find jobs like this, sort of entry-level jobs. Uh, It can be very difficult. But if they have the opportunity to work at a job, um, I would say go for it. That's what I would say. He's learned a lot. And I, I think just the job alone will... Really changes perspective when he goes goes to school next fall, so there you have it that 's a little gap year update. Um, another story in the news that I wanted to talk about was um, was something in Time magazine this week. Uh, I have two sons. And, um, there was a headline in one of, in their education se- section. Remember Time Magazine? It still exists. So go for it. Uh, get yourself over to time.com to look up this story in the education section, what schools can do to help boys succeed. And there's been a lot of debate in education circles about how schools in the last 10 years really don't, they're not serving boys well. That our focus on testing, uh, mandatory testing and sort of achievement levels don't serve girls and their, uh, natural tendency to sort of, um, you know, get in line, be able to sit still, have more maturity when they approach things, that actually benefits girls a lot more than boys. And studies have said that in certain school environments, boys are kind of treated as defective girls. Like, mm, gosh, if they could only do what girls could do, that these young male rambunctiousness uh, leads teachers to underestimate their intellectual and academic abilities. So, girl behavior is the gold standard in schools, says psychologist Michael Thompson boys are treated like defective girls and that always breaks my heart when I see that because I like my boys and I do appreciate um, that there are things that they do that I would never have done as a kid and uh can't really even (laughs) do now (laughs) so um (laughs) and uh I feel like I've seen firsthand if you have a boy that is more physically driven You know, those early years can be brutal, can be brutal, can be brutal, as definitely the case with my older son, that, uh, you know, for him, the absolute best part of school was recess and PE class. And it was the action and the activity that he did all day, the hands-on learning stuff, that sustained him through his entire lower school educational career. And then, again, through high school. You know, did he eventually learn to sit and be quiet? Oh, yeah, he did all that. Um, But uh, he still has a lot of boy tendencies. And so this article by uh, an education um, expert, Christina Hoff Summers, just suggest three things that schools can do to help boys succeed. So I thought I would pass this along. Um, more for parents so they can sort of take a look when you're evaluating, maybe you have little ones and you're deciding what would be the best school environment for them. The first one um, was something that I completely undervalued when we looked for schools for our boys. And one year in, I realized I am a genius that I picked the school on this factor alone. One is bring back recess. Schools have cut back on breaks, okay? Again, because they are trying to get all that information down kids' throats uh, so they can get the tests, so they can get the federal funding. So, since the 1970s, school children have lost close to 50% of their unstructured outdoor playtime. 39% of first graders get just 20 minutes of recess a day or less. And by contrast, kids in Japan get 10 minutes of play each hour. So 20 minutes. You go to school at eight o'clock. You don't get out till three and you only get your 20 minutes at lunch. I'm a grown up. That would bum me. Out. <laughs> that would bum me out think of all the recess you get at work, going to Starbucks at 10 o'clock and coming back. That's like a half an hour. And then you get lunch. (laughs) Then maybe you tuck out in the afternoon, pick up something nearby. That's your adult recess. So prolonged confinement in classrooms diminishes children's concentration. And guess what? Leads to squirming and restlessness. And boys appear to be more seriously affected by recess deprivation than girls. And you know what? My son's school... They had a bunch of recess and they had PE every day and – Honestly, it was absolutely the one thing that kept my sons on track was all that playtime. They got to get it out of them so they can sit and listen with a concentrated effort at some point during the day. So whenever people say, oh, how'd you like your son's school? I always say they have a fantastic recess and PE department, which is not usually what parents are thinking about, but there you go. I would just, I can personally vouch for that one bring back some recess. Let the kids run around. Let them, let them get it all out of their system. I think everybody would be happy. Although I can say this, Sheila, as a teacher, absolutely hates recess duty. Liz and Leanne here, and we are so grateful to have Osea support satellite sisters. Why? Because it's just a great product. Holy cow, do we, we love Osea's skin and body care. And you know what? This Mother's Day Free in every order for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com slash sisters and use code SISTERS to choose your free-for-year offer. Plus, get $20 off your first order. Thanks, ButcherBox. Uh, because she once got hit really hard by a ball. Um, <laughs> okay. Turn boys into readers is the thing number two that schools can do. And I, I think this is... Um, this is harder, easier said than done, but um, the the idea behind this one is that um, boys and girls are just interested in reading different things so that all of the things that kids are interested in reading should be incorporated into the curriculum or into free time. That's why parents need to know about this stuff too, and I guess um, – In England, they did a a long-term study on this, and there are definitely sex differences uh, to illustrate boys' and girls' differences in reading preferences. Okay, girls prefer fiction, magazine, blogs, and poetry. Okay, boys, what do they like? They like comics, nonfiction, and newspapers. (laughs) I can tell you this. Last night, my 16-year-old or 15-year-old had a um, poetry assignment. I mean, you would think they had assigned him... Uh, to write a short play. Like, he had to write two short poems. It nearly killed him. And this is a boy who likes to read. And he's like, I hate poetry. I was like, but you love rock songs. You like rock and roll. You like music. It's just poems set to music. But I I couldn't sell him on the poetry. Uh, But does he like comics? You bet. Does he like nonfiction? Yeah, he's on Reddit all day long. Does he like newspapers? Yeah, he actually picks up newspapers and reads them. So This is just – I think this is more helpful for parents to know. Any reading is good reading, most teachers will say. And if it's comics, if it's nonfiction, if it's newspapers, great. Those are usually not choices for school book reports, unfortunately. Um, But here's what uh, the U.S. Department of Education – here's what the – I'm sorry, the British Commission recommended in the classroom, that every teacher should have an up-to-date knowledge of reading material that will appear to disengaged boys – Two, every boy should have weekly support from a male reading role model. Okay? So get the men around the house. Get, you know, a, a coach. Get your husband. Get, uh, get an uncle to read and make reading a, a part of their lives. And then three, parents need access to information on how successful schools are supporting boys' literacy. I don't really understand what that means. <laughs> but uh i think in general uh you need to be up to date and here's a good um website if you're looking for a list of books that are proved irresistible to boys guysread.com g- guys g u y s read all one word guysread.com and then finally the third thing uh that this education writer suggests is working with the young male imagination and um That's interesting to me because um, teachers have to come to terms with the young male spirit. (laughs) Like the things that my boys are interested in, they involve like weaponry, uh, heads getting cut off. They involve uh, science fiction, other worlds. They involve time travel, jetpacks. They involve space. I was not interested in a single one of those things growing up. I would not have been interested in horror, fantasy, spoofs, humor, war, conflict, and sword fights, but that is what boys are interested in. So the author suggests that, you know, classroom teachers, be open to that. Because if you continue to discourage boys and those interests and treat them like there's actually a defect, which is what some teachers do, like that's alarming and like bells go off and stuff. No, that's just kind of what they're interested in. So if you you treat that like it's a defect, the boys will become more disengaged. So this uh, author, Char- uh, Christina Hoff Summers, suggests that schools need to work with, not against the kinetic imagination of boys, to move them towards becoming educated young men. So there you go. Parents of Boys, I passed that along. I'll put that uh, link at chaoschronicles.com. If you want to uh, read that yourself, pass that on. Um, You know, I see those girls, and oh, they're just—they just have their act together. I ran into a friend of mine the other day whose daughter's a, a high school senior. And her daughter has just, she's a terrific young woman and she's always been very focused and just on top of things, like totally on top of things. And so I asked the inevitable question that I'm trying not to ask too much, but she is a good friend. So we said, oh, where's, where's your daughter looking into college? How's that going? And my friend shook her head. She goes, you know what? Everything is in and done. I, we went to a meeting at school the other day. And parents were pulling their hair out and gnashing their teeth. And my daughter has all her essays in. She's applying to a couple of places, early action. And then she has the whole list of everything else she's doing. But it's all done in, I don't know. I didn't even look at the application. (laughs) Oh, Oh, they exist, people. They exist. So good for her. She deserves to go to the college of her choice. She's smart. She's educated. She is on top of it. She's a good athlete. She does community service, all those good things. She deserves every everything that she gets. But there should also be a place for the boys who maybe don't have it together quite so much. All right. Another uh, story. It's sort of a just an amalgam of stories that's been in the news a lot lately, um, for better or worse. And that's cyberbullying, the effects of that, uh, keeping kids safe online. Uh, you know, parents watching over their kids, monitoring their usage. We've had um, the school system here in L.A., L.A. USD introduced an iPad uh, program for every middle schooler. That's been um, pretty much an unqualified disaster, according to the L.A. Times paper. There's just been a lot about kids online and the consequences of that. Some dire. Of course, We there was an incident in Florida where a 12-year-old girl committed suicide and she cited that it was too other girls cyberbullying her on Facebook. And so the girls were arrested and, and charged with a very serious crime. And you know, there was thought that the parents would be arrested. There have been a couple of other terrible suicides where cyberbullying has been um, stated. There was the terrible killing of the teacher last week uh, by a 14 year old student, also some cyber issues. You know, here's here's what I want to say about it. And it's kind of a general general thought about just kids online in general, because um, I feel like my kids they they were the they were the age group. So I have an eighteen year old that sort of um, the broke through. I don't know what else. Like it became just an inevitability for them to have to have a cell phone, have a laptop, do their homework online, like. When I had my son Brooks, the internet was new. I never would have anticipated 18 years later that all of their homework would be submitted online, that many of the assignments that they were asked to read would actually be videos that they watched online. I would have had no idea that that was my obligation as a parent was to once they hit like age 10 monitor every single minute of their lives with their lives online. Okay. <laughs> so when I hear parents, you know, point fingers, cause that's what the internet's for. Those parents should be put in jail. Parents have an obligation to know what their kids are doing online. You know, you know, you need to watch your kids. Oh, the computer needs to be in the kitchen. Like a lot of those come from either parents who whose kids are much older who didn't have this sort of 24-hour everything online world or parents whose kids are much younger and they can kind of control their life online because that's pretty easy. But once they start getting assigned homework online, all bets are off. And my kids had a mandatory laptop program in their school in like sixth grade. That's when it started. And I can tell you unequivocally, we would not have bought them a laptop at age 12 unless we had to buy them a laptop. They didn't get cell phones till 14. You know, the, I always felt the easiest way to monitor their lives online was to not let them online, <laughs> to not give them a computer, <laughs> was to push that off as, as long as you could. Because once the minute they have a device that's hooked up to the internet in their hands... Your job goes from parenting to monitoring. And those are two different things. And there is no physical way you can monitor your, every move of your kids online. There is no physical way. You know, we, we started out doing ever oh, all the homework has to be done in the kitchen. Oh, one central computer, but all that stuff. Oh, forget it. It's, it's just done. The minute the schools go online, you're lost. Because you don't know if they're doing homework online or if they're on Facebook online, or or what they could be doing. Because they're because they know a lot more about the internet than you do. That is absolutely true. So the more I hear these stories, yesterday I heard one on NPR, uh, a long a long uh, exposition into this, looking at sort of kids' usage and what parents can do. And I will cite this: Yes, you do have an obligation. You have an obligation to be involved in your kids life in general, okay you have an obligation to know who their friends are how they 're spending their time, what their grades are you know you have an obligation to know all those things, whether it 's online or offline and i i 'm more convinced now that I think if you 're involved in your child 's life in general that your kids will be okay online uh, but if you kind of sit back and You know, come home from a 14-hour shift, which is what people are doing, you know, working 14 hours, and then sitting in front of the TV for the next three hours, and then going to bed and doing it all the next day. It's going to be really tough to monitor your kids' every move online. That's just not a reasonable expectation. And it used to make me crazy when we got these emails from the school, like, well, you need to be monitoring your kids' usage. Really? Like, literally standing over their shoulder nine hours a day? Like, I didn't even want this stupid laptop program. (laughs) And, and, and now you expect me to stand over their shoulders nine hours a day. And cause that's what people say when they say monitor the, your usage, you know, and now we're having to put in place all these, you know, higher extra people in school systems to monitor kids and, and, and kids can just get end around any kind of monitoring, online monitoring system you must have. So my, my take is just be involved in your children's life in general, but they do need space to be their own people. You know, if everything they do is like lived in front of you, uh, you can, can try to imagine that as you were a teenager. Didn't you love just going into your room and shutting the door? Well, they still love doing that. That hasn't changed. But I do feel like if you're involved in their lives and take an interest in who they are and who they're talking to, are they healthy? Are they getting exercise? Are they eating well? Are they getting enough sleep? Like... Some of that is just generally being involved. And then you can do a few simple things to take away the computer, put in parental controls, you know, take away the computer at 11 o'clock at night so they get some sleep. I'm a big believer in sleep, and I think that's been terrible. But the idea that you can literally monitor your children's usage, you just can't. So you need to just teach them to be good people you need to teach them to be aware of things, you need to talk to them about bullying, you need to talk to them about the awful sex stuff they're going to see online, you just need to be open and honest with them. But anyone who wags their finger and says, oh, you need to be monitoring their usage, they don't have kids in middle school that are getting (laughs) assigned homework online. Because then, once that happens, it's done. So let's try just to be involved in their lives and educate them in a positive way. All right. Woo! Back in business. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right, I'm going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to hear uh, about Willow Wonders, Why Do I Worry, written by Wynn and Kristen Beckstrom-Radcliffe. Stay with me. You're listening to The Chaos Chronicles. I'm Leanne Dolan of the Satellite Sisters, and I wanted to let you know about an online skin-savvy resource for all your beauty product needs, naturalskinshop.com. I discovered NaturalSkinshop.com a couple of years ago when I was looking for a simple, straightforward, but high quality skincare regime for a busy, chaotic mom. I needed something I could use every day that would really work. NaturalSkinshop.com has medical grade quality products. They are all cruelty-free, and they have fantastic customer service so you can get the products that work for you. My beauty expert, Ginger, set me up with a great cleanser, toner, moisturizer, daily glycolic, and a couple of extras that really make my skin glow. Seriously, my skin has never looked better. So I wanted to pass along the word about Naturalskinshop.com. Get your skin in great shape for the winter season and beyond. Visit Naturalskinshop.com today. Welcome back to the Chaos Chronicles. I'm Leon Dolan here in Pasadena, and oh, I have a guest today. That's right, people. The brand new Chaos Chronicles may actually have some guests, and I'm really pleased to welcome a longtime Satellite Sister and Chaos Crew listener, Kristen Beckstrom Radcliffe to the Chaos Chronicles, uh, mainly because she seems like an excellent person, even though we've never met face-to-face. We have been Facebook friends for many years, but also because she has a wonderful new book out called Willow Wonders. Why? Why Do I Worry? And Kristen has co-written this book with her sixth grade daughter, Wynne, and it's about Wynn's anxiety and OCD. Kristen is a mom, but she's also a social worker, and she's here to talk to us today about childhood anxiety and her new book, Willow Wonders. Hi, Kristen. Welcome to the Chaos Chronicles. Hi,
2: Leanne. Hi, Chaos Crew.
0: <laughs> I'm sure people know you from Facebook, so it's exciting for them to hear you on the air. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm sure it is it's making me nervous don't worry
0: no you're amongst friends here you're amongst friends and mainly Kristen it's because you've written a very personal book I mean it's a thrill I would think to write a book with your daughter that sounds like a fun family project but also it's because your daughter suffers from anxiety and OCD tell us about when tell us about when
2: When she's always been um, a naturally anxious kid from the time she was little, very um, in tune to sensory kind of things, um, you know, like lines on her socks, tags in her shirt. Um, When she was about seven, um, that seemed to kind of explode. Um, It became something that first presented itself as automatic doors were going to do something drastic to her. Um, Daddy was going to get attacked by a bear. Mind you, we live in suburban St. Louis, so there's not a bear that's going to come to suburbia um, from our next door neighbors when he was coming home from a party. Um, And it really, it, it just exploded. And we couldn't figure out what was, what, if there was a trigger, if there was something that you know, we had done, if she had seen something or anything. Um, and, and we worked very closely first with our family doctor who initially was going to advocate for medication. And I, being the professional that I am, wasn't comfortable with jumping the medication bandwagon right away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, sidebar, she's currently and still not medicated. So it, um, we went and had an evaluation, um, by, a psychologist who was going to work with a psychiatrist if we ended up going that route.
0: So and you recognize right away, though, that this was unusual.
2: Absolutely. Okay.
0: Absolutely. And
2: partially in my own experience as a practitioner, I knew it was unusual. But also as her mom, when you're stuck inside a Target because she can't go through the automatic door because it's going to Do drastic harm to, or you, you know, you're like, okay, now I'm stuck in Target.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, I think those of us who are parents who haven't seen this can't even imagine that scenario that you couldn't just say, oh, for goodness' sakes, go through the door. It's not going to attack you.
2: Yeah, it's not going to cut you in half. Um, Daddy's not going to get hit by a or you know attacked by a bear.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
2: And that first uh, initial consultation with the counselor was quite frankly abysmal because. I didn't hide the fact that I was a clinician myself. And so this particular person asked me to diagnose my own kid. Well, I knew what was going on, but that wasn't, I was there as her mom, yeah. not as, as a counselor. And so that led me to to do extensive research on, you know, tools that could be used to help her and workbooks. And because as a generalist in my practice, I had worked with some conditions like this, but not... I didn't live with it. It right. doesn't work this way. So in, in doing that, we, we started to realize that there was so much written um, really from the clinical perspective. Or if there were children's books that were already written, it was giving her more things to worry about. <laughs> Um, there's some great, you know what,
0: when you think about most of children's literature, it's terrifying. So, uh, right. And I can see how even, even books that would be sensitive to this, right. Scenarios that she hadn't thought about before. Oh, now she's thinking about them.
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it became, it it was very troublesome to me. We ended up getting very lucky to find another counselor who, wasn't typically in this one, she was about nine. She's 11 now. Um, and her name's Amy, so I can, and I've been given permission to use her name. So, um, Amy, you know, was not very excited about taking somebody as young as her, but it has worked out to be a tremendous, a tremendous gift and really great forces to this level. Um, there's some additional statistics, great, great information on the international, um, OCD foundation website, iocdf.org, um, that, that gives, but it is unusual. And, And in her case, it's unusual that it does not generally impact her at school. She's not, um, She, she, well, it makes her a really good anal student for the most part.
0: (laughs) You know, know, it's well, silver lining, silver lining, Kristen. Right, (laughs)
2: absolutely. She, um, you know, so anyway, she's got a great therapist now. But one day when she was about eight, one night, and it was an offhanded comment as I was putting her to bed, she said, Mom, this thing in my brain is like a roadmap. And I said, Well, what thing is that? And she said, On my bad OCD days, my roadmap looks awful and there's bumps and there's traffic. And, and I'm in a little, she articulated this whole thought process about she was driving a car named Charlotte, which is the name of one of our dogs. And it was a pink car and the other cars were red and this whole elaborate, fabulous eight
0: year old conceptualization of, Working. how it felt to be in her brain. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, I, I was going to ask, my question is, your book talks about roadmaps and toolboxes. What's the, significant of the significance of those terms? But it really came right from when. That's how she described her own brain. Unbelievable.
2: It, it was. And she's, she's always been an old, she's a very bright kid. So, but also then anxious and immature in other ways. So it was just really powerful. And I remember making an offhanded comment, um, about we should write a book about that and and but it was very much I mean I I was just a mom and a clinical social worker I had never conceptualized that I was going to do something like this but it became more and more evident that it it was necessary and she would it was very therapeutic for her to be able to continue to articulate that and mommy maybe we really should write a book and so I just kind of wrote a book.
0: (laughs) We're talking to Kristen Beckstrom-Radcliffe. She is a satellite sister, a member of the Chaos Crew. She and her daughter, Wynn, have written a wonderful new book uh, to address children's anxiety and OCD, Willow Wonders, Why Do I Worry? It's just out. It's available at Amazon.com. And, of course, I'll put a link at Um, TheChaosChronicles.com. and so, your book is taking a look at who at like seven year olds right You make a point in the beginning of the book like hey a seven year old deals with this differently than a teenager than a, than an adult who do you who do you hope reads uh, willow wonders
2: My goal because it was a it, you know when this process for us started when she was in second grade um, really coming to a head. my target is is the is that kind of audience the elementary school audience. Um, I worked very closely with the social worker at her school, but again, since it didn't impact her at school the same way as it did other places, um you know those are the kind of audiences and because we've written it, we hope in a fairly fairly generalist kind of way that it can be used in other practitioners' offices like my own, um people that work with little ones um that again it's a- set, it's a picture book, so I read it to my son's actually her brother. Um, and forgive me if I get a little emotional about this part, um, he read it to his second grade class last week. Mm. to ex- and, and it was very, it was really powerful in a sense because it just started even a brief discussion about, well, maybe I can try that if I worry. And so it doesn't have to apply just to the kiddos that are clinically significant and really struggling in that way, but in some ways to the everyday kid too, who the little, littler ones, obviously, she will say now that she's 11 and, you know, dealing with 11 year old junior high kind of issues that she would love to write an edition. You know, let's write another one, mom. Right. (laughs) Right.
0: Hey, it's Liz and Leanne here. And we want to thank Pros for supporting this episode of Satellite Sisters. Now, you know, Liz, I've been out and about with my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical. (laughs) The book is getting rave reviews. I'm very happy. But you know what else is getting rave reviews? Visit Framebridge dot com or see a local Framebridge store to get started and custom frame just about anything like a Bruce Springsteen set list. That's Framebridge dot Thanks, Framebridge. Um, Kristen for for you at your house is this every day that you're dealing with this? I mean, or does she have weeks of of like she, calm uh, sailing? You know, no no issues, and then you know, something happens or is it a little something every day?
2: Um, there's a little bit of it every day. Um, in particular, things like um, the routine of the, of her morning, getting ready for school or the bedtime routine, for example. But then, you know, it will be less evident throughout the rest of the day. Um, there are times absolutely where it just full on becomes really difficult. And, I, and one of them being, you know, she's built up to something, we had a taekwondo tournament this past weekend that had been months in preparation and now it's over. And she, the letdown of that really triggers a lot in her. Hmm. Um, And I want to make a point really to, to everybody that, because I know when they hear people talk about OCD, it may, it may in their head be like just the hand washing. right?
0: Oh, I think people have no concept of what it is and they make a lot of jokes about it. You know, Oh, I have OCD. Yeah.
2: Show like monk um you know where he was it, it was a fascinating portrayal but that's not what everybody's ocd is like and that that was something that was really important to both of us in writing the book the way that we did was to again not describe her ocd but to say yeah i worry this is how i think about the worry but the way that you know that manifests itself for her is not going to be the same as it is for another kid you know she's she is somebody that is classic OCD in some ways, classic in my head, meaning she has to have things in order and she has to, it, we, we tease her sometimes and she's good spirited about it most days, excuse me, that she's like Dora, you know, Dora the Explorer, you have three steps and those right. three steps have to be the same every time. Um, and, and so she, you know, but she's not a hand washer. She's not a, you know, those kind of things. Um, I will say that with the onset of puberty, that has at times given us rougher moments, mm-hmm. really rough moments in particular. I mean, it's hormones, let's be honest. Right. I, it, and it messes with all of us in that way. So that can provide some really difficult times for her. But she's got... She's got such a good head on her shoulders about it that because we have such an open, honest conversation all the time that, you know, she can say to us, this is what it is for me right now. And I and she can't stop herself. She can't. You know, when she started, here's an example, I guess, of a recent one. She started junior high and it was the first time she was riding the bus. It was a different, you know, she had to change classes every time she had a locker. And for a kid like her, that was unbelievably overwhelming, the unpredictability and unknown of that. Yeah. Just um,
0: hearing you describe it like that after the last 10 minutes of conversation, I can see that. Right. Junior <laughs> high is a jumble anyway. And then uh, throw in all those other factors, right? You're riding a bus, you're changing classes, you have a locker, you're changing for gym class, all that stuff. Uh, yeah.
2: Yeah. And then if you throw in getting a period, uh, I mean, that's yeah. just, and she would, I watched her the first several weeks of school and it was painful because I want to stop her or I want to say for God's sake, just get to the bus stop. But she would, she would stutter step this weird, it was almost like she was skipping over okay, the, you know, yeah. the cracks in the sidewalk kind of thing. So it would take her, a, I shouldn't say ridiculous, but a ridiculous kind <laughs> of
0: time. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling it right now. Like just, yeah, just get walk to the, the bus, bus stop. stop.
2: <laughs> um, and, and, and then as that, she got more used to that routine. Well, that abated to the point where now, and I can't, I watch her walk up to the corner at the bus stop. Cause it's about two blocks and she's, she doesn't stutter step now. Mm-hmm. She has to turn around and blow me a kiss both directions. So that's the only compulsion, you know what I mean? So it, right. It, it's something that she had to get used to and, and now she is used to it. And so it's, It's far less overwhelming to her, but that being said, you know, then you throw in, like I said, a minute ago, the end of, of an event like that big Taekwondo tournament. And she had worked so hard and, and still does work hard, but the letdown of that is, is an unknown all over again. So then it becomes a little bit of, we got to regroup. And how are we going to, how are we going to deal with it at this point? And so.
0: Is there a cure? That like, is there a cure for this? Is there a day when she'll be worry-free, or is it really about managing her roadmap and her toolbox, like you so cleverly articulate in Willow Wonders?
2: It is it is not something that you can wave a magic wand at and say is quote unquote cured. Um I have met such lovely people in in connecting through this anxiety and OCD network I've I've built for myself and for her. Um, it never truly goes away. Mm -hmm. It is about managing her symptoms and managing, you know, and and probably the big thing we're focused on right now is how are we going to manage this to avoid the cruelty uh, that is junior high?
0: Yeah. I mean, junior high is horrible. I mean, it's horrible. I, I was so grateful when my younger son graduated from eighth grade. So grateful. It's just bad.
2: It, it is bad and and thankfully she's got a great group of group of friends yeah. um, many of whom know that this is something about her and if they if they see her doing something um like that they'll call her out in in a discreet way so that she's not you know if she started to stutter step in the hallway one of her good friends will be like let's skip together or make it something else so you know, getting her through that. And, and it's going to be like that for the rest of her life. It's um, and it's also something that I think it's important to keep educating people about. So, it, no, there isn't a cure. Um, there's
0: states of better, if you will. So you built a support group. That was my last question. I wanted to ask about how you kind of manage um, having a daughter with these issues. One way is writing a book. That's a fantastic project. I'm sure you get a lot of, um, you know, positive feedback through your work as a social worker, but tell me about the community that you built up around you.
2: Um, Well, one of the things that unfortunately we, there's a good community in terms of providers across the river in St. Louis, Um, we have, however, found that avenue in a sense to be pretty clinical and that, that's not how, that's not, that doesn't best serve her. What best serves her and us really is the network, the virtual network, if you will. Um, we have a few close friends local who, like I alluded to a minute ago, who will, you know help her manage. And and I can be raw and honest and be like, Oh, for God's sake, it took her 10 minutes to get to the bus stop. Um, you know what I mean? And they, can, I do. And they can, you know, the, the everyday people who if just, just today, this morning, she, I was looking at her lunch account and, and, uh, called her out for something and you would have thought it, you know, it just disrupted her routine this morning. And that, You know, then I can text or call my close girlfriends local, but I can also then connect with groups like the IOCDF, which has blogs and forums, um, other parent, you know, network with other parents who struggle with that. This past summer, I went to their national conference in Atlanta as a, merely as a participant, not Mm -hmm. as a presenter or anything like that, and have made great professional and personal connections through organizations like that. Um, I will want to give a shout out most definitely to the Manic Mommies community, um, good friends with Aaron and Kristen, and they have been tremendous at permitting people to have open and honest conversations, whether it's through Facebook or at their annual events, to really just let people be raw and honest. And And I think that's the part that I want to make sure anybody has, you know, that they can have a an accepting forum of folks to talk to about this because- She's mine and she's amazing, but some days it's just plain hard. Right?
0: Yeah, I would imagine, Kristen. I would imagine, especially when you think about sort of the future, too, that it is just Hmm. managing on a day-to-day basis. I'm glad that you have all those people that you've reached out to. It is one of those things that social networks have done in an extraordinary way that 20 years ago, you and your daughter probably would have been incredibly isolated in dealing with this situation.
2: Absolutely, absolutely, and I, you know, I, I credit the Satellite Sisters and the Chaos Crew for much of that social media tapping too. Because I would get, you know, if I'd link to something on one of the pages, I get invariably helpful feedback that makes me feel so much better when I'm sitting there in the everyday and it's just been really horrible that day. I get that shout out or somebody posting a picture. Yesterday, I got one of those. It was a rough. It was a rough day at our house yesterday. Like the mother-daughter book like. <laughs> Can I ask you offline about how to do that? I don't know to do a book tour. Um, what, We did a little event. Um, I call it a little event. Um, just at my office when we first got the books in. Because both my publisher and I have have physical books. It's a small grassroots publishing company. So it's not, you know, I've got 27 boxes of this book in my okay. like book. Okay. <laughs> so we're we're really starting to to flesh that out. I'm going next weekend to um the Manic Mommy's Escape in Santa Fe and I'm gonna do a signing there as well as a um as well as a I don't wanna call it a seminar, but just really a, a meet and greet for for an opportunity for moms, not just of special kids with anxiety issues, but special kids period, that raw, honest conversation opportunity. Um, my hope is to present um these are big items because I'm figuring out the little ones there's an anxiety disorders conference in Chicago in March and I'm coming to Yorneck of the Woods in July for the annual IOCDF conference great um, to to exhibit and those kind of things so, so it it's really still a work in progress so anybody who wants us to come and share the book please <laughs> let me know obviously you know this well Lynn mm-hmm. that this is Not an inexpensive endeavor. No,
0: (laughs) but you know, I bet you'll be um, sort of pleasantly surprised now that the book is out and you're out talking. Um, I bet you'll find that you have opportunities that are incredibly, you know, satisfying and and meaningful to both of you. Chances to talk to people again, because first of all, you're really good at talking about it. So, (laughs) Bravo. Thank you. For you. Uh, but it just, you know, I think there are probably a lot more parents and a lot more kids um, in your boat than, than you realize and you can even begin to realize.
2: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It's, it's, um, it's a delicate local situation. And that, as I've said, she's in junior high. And as accepting and tolerant as so many people are, it takes one negative comment. Um, so I'm following her lead locally because it's protecting her at this point too. Right. Um, right. Know, she- her it's it's a dicey time in in a young one's life that junior high middle school mess and so we're trying I, I am focusing on the elementary schools her principal her former elementary principal and i are working out they do a visiting author thing and he's like we don't have to pay a visiting author you live a mile away and i said that's great i absolutely <laughs> i'd absolutely love to do that so there will be those events that come out and and i i'm following her lead and
0: seeing where she wants it to take us. Kristen, it was really a pleasure to talk to you today. Kristen Beckstrom Radcliffe. uh, Her book is Willow Wonders, Why Do I Worry? You can find all the information and links at chaoschronicles.com. And uh, Kristen, maybe I'll put your Facebook, uh, if you want, any contact, additional information that you want out there, um, I I will be happy to post at chaoschronicles.com so that people can connect with you because I I have a feeling you're going to hear from more people after after this interview. That's the way it works, Kristen. <laughs> oh, I hope so. Thank you,
2: Leanne, for
1: the all opportunity to share the story with you.
0: All the best to your daughter, Wynne, too. That's it for the Chaos Chronicles this week. Many thanks to Kristen Baxstrom Radcliffe for joining me. Again, all information about her book and some links that you need to know about. If you have a child that suffers with anxiety, we'll be at chaoschronicles.com. Visit us there. Uh feel free to participate too in our Facebook page, which is the Chaos Chronicles. Let's get it back going, people. Chaos Chronicles back in business. All right, my to-do list this week. You know it's Halloween. I got my big bars. I'm set to go. Uh, I put the crows up, uh, and I've got my witch's hat all dusted off and ready to wear. I'm excited for Halloween. I hope we have a big crowd. We're supposed to have beautiful weather here in Los Angeles. But I understand in the rest of the country, it's not going to be so good. So I hope you have a safe, happy, and healthy Halloween. And I will talk to you next week. And don't forget, embrace your chaos.